the August 23rd, 2023 Transportation Commission meeting for the City of Alameda, and we will start off with roll call. Um, Commissioner Dara Abrams. Here. Commissioner Johnson. Oh, present. Commissioner Noctegal. Here. Chair Souls. Here. Uh, Vice Chair Yuan. Here. Commissioner Suthamthira. Here. And Commissioner Whitesey. Here. Thank you. Welcome, everybody. And I just want to make a brief um, introduction for our new commissioner, um, Drew Dara Abrams. And he's a resident of Alameda, I know. He also has a lot of depth in transit data, um, but I don't want to speak for him. So would you mind giving us a little bit of an introduction to yourself? Sure. Thank you, Chair Souls. Uh, Drew Dara Abrams. Quick trick. <laughs> Sorry, you. I should have told you beforehand. You have to kind of get close to that microphone. Thank you, Lisa, and thank you in advance for reminding me three more times this evening. Um, uh, Drew Dara Abrams, uh, I'm a resident of Alameda, live on the east side. Uh, I'm also fortunate enough to work in Alameda. Uh, I'm a part of a, uh, a firm here that focuses on data and analytical services for um, the transportation sector, but very specific little niche, so I'm more bringing or hoping to bring my daily experience as an Alameda resident um, to the Transportation Commission. Um, we've got a bunch of clipper cards, a cargo e-bike, um, a Subaru Outback wagon, and we now have a Chevy Bolt electric vehicle that we don't yet know how to charge in our household. So <laughs> that is the compliment. And, um, but yeah, looking forward to uh, uh, helping a really talented staff um, and engaged commissioners on uh, topics here. So thank you. Thank you and welcome. And I also just want to take a moment to recognize Commissioner Whitesey, who was recently reappointed to his commissionership. Welcome again and congratulations. We're glad to still have you. Um, okay, with that, I'll move on to agenda item two. Any changes to the agenda? None. So we will move on to agenda item three, staff communications, and I'll turn it back over to Lisa. Thank you. I'm Lisa Foster, Senior Transportation Coordinator. I am going to keep these really brief tonight because I'm doing the whole status report on transportation later. So you guys are going to get, like, it's like the longest staff communications possible. Um, so... Our upcoming Transportation Commission meetings are September 27th and November 15th. And we have some uh, good public events coming up. Right now, this is sort of an event. At Link 21 has an online open house available through the end of the month, 24-7. And on September 5th and October 17th, we have our Transportation 101 and Transit App Training at the Mastic Senior Center. September 6th is a virtual class called Carrying Things by Bike. And September 13th is Bike Commuting Basics, also virtual. September 14th, the Oakland Alameda Access Project is having a community meeting in Oakland to provide an uh, update on the project and next steps. And then also September 19th and October 31st is Hop on the Bus with us at the Mastic Senior Center as well. Um, we do have a new Fernside Boulevard mailing list. Anybody who regularly uses Fernside or lives nearby, um, we encourage people to join at alamedaca.gov slash subscribe. Caltrans District 4 is having a bike plan survey 
that is open. The link is in the staff communications. And MBUD has nearly completed installation of new water pipelines on Sherman Street, Lanark, Challenger, and Marina Village Parkway. Pavement restoration is scheduled to begin in October and November. And that is all. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. And that will move us on to agenda item four, the non-agendized public comment. So if you have any matters that are not currently on the agenda for discussion this evening, now is the time to virtually raise your hand or submit a card uh, to the clerk. And you guys can let me know if we have anyone. I can hear you, but I don't know if, okay. Okay, please welcome in. Good evening. Thank you, Commissioner Souls and, and Commission members. My name is Denise Trepanier, and I'm speaking on behalf of Bike Walk Alameda this evening. I'm sure you're already aware of the dangerous situation that was created by the city when they closed the Shoreline Trail on Bay Farm for maintenance. The Shoreline Trail is a key bike route for kids getting to school on Bay Farm and over the bike bridge to schools on the island. The city closed this trail on the first day of school without any notification to the schools or the parents who rely on that trail for their children's safe commute to school. The city also didn't provide any detours. And as you can expect, um, it was confusing, frustrating, and dangerous. Kids were actually riding their bikes against traffic on Robert Davy Jr. Drive because East Bay Mud had also closed part of the sidewalk for one of their projects at the same time, again, without any safe way to get through. Um, so I applaud the city for hearing the understandably loud complaints from the community and getting the resources in place to provide signage about a safe-ish detours very quickly. Um, but I think the situation is symptomatic of a larger issue that I'm hoping this commission can help address. A similar situation happened during the developer-led construction project on the Cross Alameda Trail earlier this year, when a section close to NIA was closed without any notice or detour, leading people to walk and bike in traffic, in the traffic lanes on Ralph Aposado. Our bike and ped trails and paths are not managed as transportation infrastructure the way our roads are. If we want more people walking and biking, we need to change that. I'd like the city to prioritize at a minimum our low stress backbone that was just approved by council as part of our transportation network and not managed as recreational facilities. I'm not sure how to make that happen. I'm not sure if this means we need new processes or we need another permit check or more site inspections to make sure that we've implemented traffic mitigation plans for people walking and biking. Or this is maybe an issue of needing to educate staff on the ground on how important these routes are. I don't know what the solution is, but we need to change something. There's a lot of um, new construction happening soon, Sentinel Terminals um, and the Clement Avenue Extension and Central. Um, so I hope we can figure out what's, um, how to fix this and make sure that we can treat these projects and infrastructure, which we've worked, all, we've all worked so hard to get to this point, um, to keep them up and operational for everyone. Thanks. Thank you. There's one more comment. Comments? Yeah, please go ahead. Um, let's see, that would be Cindy Johnson. Welcome. 
Good evening, commissioners. I'm calling from Bike Walk Alameda to raise awareness around Cycle September and invite you and the broader community to join us. This is a citywide competition to promote biking for everyday transportation instead of driving. According to the active transportation plan, 63% of all trips in Alameda are three miles or less, which is an easy bike ride. 31% of all trips in Alameda are less than one mile. And yet 70% of all trips are made by car. Instead of driving for these everyday trips, so many of which are really short, we're hoping that for the month of September, people will try biking instead. The winner will be the person who puts in the most trip miles and they'll win a gift box of Alameda goodies and ice cream with Mayor Ezzy Ashcraft. Participation details, including how to track your miles and lots of other important resources are on our website, bikewalkalameda.org under the events tab. We hope you'll join us. Thank you. Thank you. Other comments? Paul. Okay, thanks, Rochelle. That will move us on to agenda item five, the consent calendar. Six, uh, excuse me, 5A. Uh, we have the draft minutes from June 21st, 2023. Um, absent were Commissioner Whitesy and Colstrand, I believe. Um, so if I have any comments, feel free to raise those now or entertain a motion. Go ahead, Commissioner Noctegall. There's a small typo that I wanted to flag and it's not really a deal breaker by any stretch. Uh, I it just on uh, item 5A, I'm referred to as board member in Octagall as opposed to commissioner and that's it. That's a promotion. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> we can make that, uh, that edit as part of our motion to approve. If anyone else has any comments, go ahead and speak now. None? Okay, I'll make a motion to approve. Do I have a second? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and we're doing a roll calls. Vice Chair, did you have something? No. Okay. Um, not roll, the vote. We can do the voice vote. Um, so we have two abstentions. So all in favor say aye. 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 All opposed say no. And the motion passes. Thank you. All right. On to agenda item 5B. Um, Lisa, I believe we we're going to have staff give some details about this. It's um, just an intro. This is something that was a little bit of a gap in our, in our bylaws. So it exists in code, but it was never really fully adopted. And so do you want to explain some more before we make a motion? Certainly. Um, I realized that our bylaws didn't have a reference to our municipal code 8. Dash 1.3, um, which is the appeal of public works director decisions. So that is, you know, it's fully adopted municipal code, but but I realized that some, you know, commissioners might not know about this, and the best way to make sure that it's all above board is putting it in our bylaws. So this this would add one sentence to our bylaws to make reference to it. And what it is is that the transportation commission is an arbiter when people file formal appeals. To, for, for public works direction decisions related to items outlined in that code uh, that include stop sign and bus stop replacement or placement, um, truck routes, pedestrian signals, and certain parking regulations like short-term parking zones and disability parking zones. So um, the fee for somebody to file one of these formal complaints is, it was $1,600 in our last fee schedule. So it is fairly rare that this happens. I haven't seen it happen since 2019. Um, 
So, but it just, you know, it is part of the task of this commission, so it should be in our bylaws. It's my recommendation. Thank you. So our action tonight is to make a motion to amend the bylaws to include this municipal code. If there are any questions for staff, we can do that, or can I have a, a motion to approve? Any questions? I'll make a motion to approve. I'll second. Thank you, Vice Chair. And another voice uh, vote, please. Sure. All in favor say aye. 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 All opposed say no. Any abstentions? Doesn't look like it. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you, Lisa. We're on to our regular agenda items. And as 6A, we have a moment to recognize the service of Commissioner Rebecca Colstrand, um, who served on the Transportation Commission for the last four years. Um, she is with us tonight, so thank you for coming. And we have a formal resolution, which, as you probably know, has a lot of whereas. And I feel like. <laughs> Some of those things don't always give the full service for people listening to really um, understand someone's uh, service and contribution. So uh, to go over just a few highlights of Commissioner Colstrand's accomplishments and contributions, as well as our gratitude for her service to the city of Alameda, I'm just going to point out a few things. So in addition to serving four years on this body, uh, she served with the city of Alameda planning board from 2004 to 2012, including one year as vice president and one year as president. Um, additionally, she has been a 40-year veteran of the transportation industry, um, working on some of the really, really big complex projects that in the Bay Area can be tremendously difficult and you really have to have a tenacity and passion to really deliver these things. So BART to Warm Springs, Dumbarton Rail Corridor, and the Oakland Airport Connector were three of those. And also, she had a lot of um, hand in the, high, the California High Speed Rail Project as well. Um, I have really appreciated just the transit advocacy and the true dedication to the industry. And to have someone serve in a volunteer role and be a truly dedicated professional and practitioner, I think, is appreciated by all of us. And so um, now and therefore be resolved. We thank you for your service. And I invite you to come and uh, receive your resolution. If you'd like to provide any comments, um, please feel free. Please. So thank you for your kind words. Um, I'm sad not to be continuing on the commission, but um, it has been an honor and a pleasure to work with all of you, and I wish the best of luck to Drew, who's uh, taking my place. Um, it uh, has been interesting to meet all of you and learn your transportation perspectives, which are sometimes different than mine. <laughs> sometimes I was a thorn in people's side, which maybe is why I didn't get reappointed. <laughs> but anyway, um, I'd also like to thank the staff because I think the staff, along with the commission, have just accomplished great things in Alameda in the last uh, several years. And I know that's owing a lot to the current mayor as well as John Knox White and um, 
being on the, the council and uh, having a great transportation commission like my fellow commissioners. So uh, again, thank you to a great staff, transportation staff here in Alameda. Um, have to say, I, when I was on vacation recently, I was, uh, was brought to my attention. There was a, um, a blog this guy was doing. It was on YouTube about the future of Alameda and how it's this great city that has all these bike lanes and everything, and it's the future of the Bay Area. And he was just going on and on about it. And I was thinking, yeah, that's because of all the hard work that's been done here. So thank you to everyone, and good luck. And I know you'll continue to do great things. So thank you all. Thank you. And you're always welcome as a public commenter on agendized and non-agendized items at the right time. <laughs> Thank you. All right, moving on to uh, agenda item 6B. We, I believe, have a presentation tonight. This is an information discussion topic about the AC Transit Realign project. Um, and so if I'd like to invite our presenter up. Good evening. Good evening, um, Madam Chair and members of the commission. My name is Diane Castleberry. I'm an ex AC Transit External Affairs Rep. I'm actually a former resident of Alameda, but I wanted to take a quick moment to introduce some folks that you should be aware of. Um, so first, um, I wanted to have come up here, Maria Henderson. Um, she is our newest member of the AC Transit Legislative Affairs and Community Relations team. She is serving as an External Affairs Rep who will be um, working closely with the city of Alameda along with two other jurisdictions. And um, she comes by way of, and probably she could speak to it better, um, but I know your time is short. So she comes by way of um, one of your own um, Alamedans, um, Attorney um, General Rob Bonta, and also um, working uh, with uh, elect other elected officials on city council in Oakland and, and other locations. But I don't wanna continue, but just she gave her card to, was it Lisa or, yes. So, um, Please feel free to reach out to her if you have any questions or you know about AC Transit. She will be your liaison. And then I'm going to turn it over to David Berman, who's going to start the presentation. I'll make a few comments. And also here in the room, I think you know, is Crystal Wang. She's our associate plan, uh, transportation plan or our transportation planner, who um, covers this area as well. Thanks, Diane. Uh, so I'm David Berman, senior transportation planner. Uh, and the project manager for AC Transit Realign, which is our initiative to remake uh, our transit network in the wake of the pandemic. And I've got Diane here, uh, who will step in and talk a little bit about engagement in, in a few minutes. Uh, but just want to make sure you brace yourselves. I'm going to go as fast as I can. This is a 60-minute presentation. We're trying to reduce down into 15, so please bear with me. Uh, next slide. So what is AC Transit Realign? We are doing a plan that looks at our core product, that is our transit network. And we're looking at routes and schedules to evaluate where and when we offer transit service throughout our whole service area, from Richmond down to Fremont. Um, and we're trying to make sure that that service, that is where buses go and when, is aligned with what customers need and the important equity goals we have enshrined in our strategic plan. We've got a moral and federal compliance imperative to protect and support mobility for people of color, low-income folks, uh, and those with low mobility impairments, and want to make sure that, that none of those folks get lost in this process, that we actively include uh, uh, all of these voices in the conversation throughout the process. Next slide. 
And so what you should expect through this whole process is that we're going to have some hard choices ahead of us. Uh, heavy trade-offs mean we'll have to make some serious choices between frequency, reliability, and the distance uh, bus routes are from where people live, work, and play. Uh, this planning process provides AC Transit with a venue uh, where we can have those conversations about constraints and opportunities uh, with the communities we serve uh, and, and help understand all the trade-offs necessary. At the same time, however, a plan that just envisions uh, a cost-neutral uh, future uh, without, with just limited resources would catch us flat-footed uh, in the event that uh, new revenue is available. So this plan will also look at what the future of transit could look like with more revenue and the possibility of maximizing uh, service that, that's available to our, our uh, communities. Next slide. And so we're now in phase two. Uh, we're showing our board and, and our public and communities all the investigatory work our team has been doing as part of phase one, uh, which focused more on understanding uh, patterns and needs uh, through a variety of things I'll go through in just a bit. Uh, we're showing uh, folks guiding principles for the project to spark discussion that's based on what we're seeing in the data and hearing from riders in our communities. And we're doing a lot of outreach and engagement on, on those guiding principles, and we want to use all the, the stuff we find from our communities to bring the, our AC Transit boards and revisions for final adoption in just a few weeks. So mid-September, we're shooting for a September 13th board meeting. And so to be brief, in future phases, we're going to be showing people uh, service scenarios, so actual lines on maps uh, in November and December of 2023, uh, incorporating feedback and then shooting for a final board decision uh, on a final plan in mid-April 2024. And then in the summer, we'll develop some new service standards, so carrying the spirit of this plan forward into future planning efforts, uh, and then also roll out a robust public outreach campaign uh, to let people know in advance that changes will be coming for an initial go-live date of August 2024. So it's a very aggressive timeline. Uh, we're doing a lot of, uh, I was telling Rochelle, a big roadshow. Uh, next slide. And so all of the work we've done to date brings us to draft guiding principles, including a market analysis, which aims to understand how our communities have changed and make up since the last time we did a big uh, system-wide service planning effort like this. Uh, and what trends are looking like on the demand side. Uh, the origin destination analysis gets granular with location-based services data from cell phones to understand how general travel patterns have changed. Our service assessment aims to understand how service is performing and how we're doing ridership-wise. Uh, we, we had a robust community survey. We got about almost 16,000 uh, responses from both in-person and um, online. And that, that survey asked key questions about people's transit travel, preferences, opinions about key trade-offs, and uh, feedback we've heard uh, in community conversations, both boots on the ground, through feedback channels online and in person, and by phone. Uh, and then last but not least, we factored in uh, a lot of board feedback about the direction our organization should be going uh, in uncertain times. So we'll provide some quick highlights here. Again, what follows is a just brief snippet of the information that's available on our Legistar and on our project website, ectransit.org forward slash realign. Um, for more immersion, there's some really cool interactive stuff that's on the website with a lot more information. And if you like reading exhaustively, definitely encourage you to get uh, down and dirty with all of that. And so uh, in terms of existing conditions, uh, next slide. Uh, this map shows the population change we've seen in census data between 2013 and 2021 for our service area. Note that to make everything work in widescreen, it's kind of tilted to the left, so 
North is to the left, uh, not up. Uh, and what we're seeing is that the service area saw slight population growth leading up to the pandemic. We used 2021 data uh, because that was the most recent available uh, at the census tract and block group level, depending on the particular data set. Uh, we've also looked at more recent population estimates that aren't necessarily comprehensive for our whole service area from the state. And indications seem like we're trending downwards uh, from those 2021 levels. Next slide. And so in terms of travel patterns, we wanted to understand where people are making more trips and where they're making fewer trips. Uh, we've got a contract with Streetlight Data, uh, which provides uh, location-based services data, so data from cell phone apps. Uh, and until spring 2022, their methodology used that in anonymized data from cell phone apps uh, about people's movement patterns. So it's a pretty comprehensive sample. We're comparing fall 2019 to spring 2022 data. After spring 2022, uh, Streetlight, along with uh, all the folks in, in this industry, changed their uh, data gathering methodologies in line with uh, Apple changing their views on privacy and data retention. So the best apples to apples comparisons we can make are from between fall 2019, so pre-pandemic, to mostly post-pandemic in, in the spring of 2022. And so with these data, the kinds of places we're seeing, or the kinds of communities we're seeing growth in are Richmond, San Pablo, East Oakland, and South Hayward, and also in Cherryland. So specific places with, with density, those are, those are some exceptions to the overall trends that we're seeing uh, with communities like downtown Oakland, so employment centers, uh, the hills from Oakland through Berkeley and Kensington, parts of Fremont, and a lot of Alameda seeing uh, significant declines in overall tra travel making. So that's uh, looking at all trips, both on and off the bus. Next slide. And we're seeing uh, throughout the whole service area from these data. So when we look at uh, all vehicle trips starting within the EC Transit service area, over 90% of those uh, end within the EC Transit service area. So, and when we divvy up the, uh, the service area into four chunks, so basically West Contra Costa County, Northern Alameda County, Central Alameda County, and Southern Alameda County, roughly, uh, the trips starting in any of those quarters of, of uh, our service area tend to stay within those uh, geographic areas to the tune of 60 to 70%. So just generally, uh, travel tends to be more hyper-local hyper than you'd think, uh, with bus trips, uh, based on our best available data, skewing even more extra-local. Uh, in terms of time of day, in this data set, we're seeing declines across all weekday time periods, but midday travel on weekdays has been least affected as compared to pre-pandemic patterns. Uh, we're also seeing percentage drops that are greatest overnight and in, in the late evenings on weekdays. When we look at, and then when we look at weekend data, uh, we see uh, pretty uniform travel declines in terms of the overall amount of trip making being made throughout our service area, uh, which doesn't really match what we're seeing on our transit network. We're seeing weekends and midday both coming back disproportionately from other time periods. So there's, there's some differences between the transit market and the overall market uh, of travel throughout our area. Next slide. And so when we look at productivity, uh, that is the number of people we're carrying for every hour of service we put out on the street, it really follows land use trends most closely. The more density, uh, the more people are generally riding transit. And so as part of this, as part of this work, we broke up all of our lines on a segment-by-segment -segment basis, uh, which provides us a granular sort of neighborhood-level look at uh, how uh, or where we're seeing ridership growth within neighborhoods and what parts of those routes tend to be 
uh, contributing to, to more productive service more markedly. So pr productivity is highest in Oakland and Berkeley uh, and uh, pretty good uh, in Alameda. Basically, the places that, that have the highest population and employment density punch above their weight when it comes to ridership, as, as folks in the transportation sphere, sphere would, would generally expect. Uh, our lowest performing areas are primarily suburban or low density areas with Fremont and Newark and uh, uh, a lot of the, the service in the hills seeing some of the lowest performing uh, segments. Uh, we see that, that service in some of the, again, some of the densest, uh, the most frequent corridors uh, does really well. The 51B through along college and university carries about 60 passengers an hour. Uh, provides crosstown service, it runs at a high frequency, has a built-in market of CalKids. Um, Route 1T, so our Tempo BRT, also has a similarly high productivity, carrying about 57 passengers an hour. And so what we see, generally, when looking at, at service performance, uh, the markets where we have high-quality service and, and we have the densities to support it, really uh, are wins for us on that front. Next slide. So this chart shows when bus trips happen throughout the day. The bus ridership, or a number of passengers, is articulated there in blue. Bus ridership is more peak-focused than overall travel demand and is influenced by school ridership in the 7 o'clock hour on weekdays and in the 2 to 4 uh, p.m. window. We carry a lot more school kids than uh, is represented in overall travel patterns. Uh, the slightly higher overall travel demand and lower bu bus ridership that we see in the middle of the day uh, suggests there's some potential for meeting uh, some unmet demand. And, and that's, that's a direction that, that I know uh, BART is going with, with their service changes forthcoming in September, seeing that midday market much better than uh, the peak market. And I'll turn it back to Diane to talk a little bit about survey and outreach and engagement. Thank you, David. So um, as David mentioned, that we have five phases. And so as part of our, phase, our first phase, um, AC Transit conducted a community survey to understand how riders use our service and what kinds of changes would be most useful. Um, the survey was available both online and in person through 149 pop-up events held throughout the community, creating nearly 10,000 touch points during phase one. The survey was available in English, Spanish, and Chinese. Um, with a special emphasis in reaching communities that can be hard to reach or underrepresented in studies like this. Um, additionally, this first phase, our social media posts received nearly 30,000 impressions the number of times a post was seen. We re received close to 16,000 survey responses, and this information is helping us to understand riders' existing needs and opportunities. As part of phase one community engagement, we heard that riders' needs can be different across our service area. So we will be taking into account as we develop our alternatives and recommendations. We are currently wrapping up phase two engagement um, with the report that we'll be sharing details and um, will be available um, by September 13th. And additionally, we are preparing for phase three later this year, as David mentioned, and that's when we'll have um, lines on maps um, where we will be seeking feedback on proposed service plan scenarios. So I'm gonna turn it back to David. Thanks, Diane. And so, next slide, oh, there we go. Uh, we asked a lot of questions on the survey, and what we found generally is that folks who rode before the pandemic are riding for about the same reasons that they did uh, before the pandemic, just less frequently. So we asked a number of trade-off questions, and what we found is 
frequency is generally king, though some of the, the subtleties vary depending on where you ask that question and, and to whom you ask that question demographically. We also found that most people, <clears throat> excuse me, would prioritize more service uh, during the day on weekdays, followed by early morning and early evening service. And on weekends, they would pri first prioritize service during the day on Saturdays, then service during the day on Sundays, uh, with late night uh, being less of import to the folks we asked in our survey pool. Next slide. So when we step back and look at all of the community input and the technical analysis, our major conclusions are, one, the AC Transit Service Area saw population growth during the last decade, but it's experiencing a slight decline after the pandemic. Uh, the makeup of our service area is changing because of factors like an aging population and displacement. Uh, travel to and from employment centers is lower today than pre-pandemic, but it really depends where specifically within our service area. Next slide. Uh, riders are using AC Transit less today than before the pandemic, but generally are following the same trip purposes. Uh, in general, our, our customers value frequent service, more frequent service when considering trade-offs, but uh, when we ask where and when and what, uh, it, it, it depends a little bit more. Um, and then also we heard that customers value the coverage, the network coverage that we offer, but frequency and, and more reliable bus service are really things that we can do better. Uh, and that's, that's feedback I, I can echo as, as a writer. Next slide. And so based on what we found in our research and looking at all these data trends, we've narrowed down three draft guiding principles or some core values that we want to carry into what we design and show people in the fall. Those are equity, frequency, and reliability. And all those sound like good things, right? But we want to define what we mean by each of those so people understand what those values might mean in practice when we get down to the nitty gritty of why a bus should or shouldn't go somewhere uh, in the fall. Next slide. So let's start with an equity lens. We see that as providing mobility for communities who need it the most. We're seeing fewer and fewer low income and, and zero vehicle households uh, because they're moving because of the cost of living. We're seeing an aging population with fewer kids and the need for weekend, early morning, and late evening schedules for those with non-traditional work hours. Within this lens, we're identifying communities who need it the most very specifically, providing the most service where the greatest concentrations around low income, people of color, uh, limited English proficiency, seniors, car-free households, single parent families, people with disabilities, and significant rent burdens exist. So it's a long list, mouthful, uh, but we're really looking at uh, basing our approach on uh, the uh, MTC equity priority communities. And so assuming we don't have more resources to add service, Focusing on these communities would mean um, more service focused in, in, in these communities based on these demographic lenses and less service outside of these communities, including possible impacts on trans-based service in more resourced communities. We see reliability is simply providing reliable and predictable service. We've heard loud and clear in in-person conversations and through our survey that buses just need to show up if there's a trip in the schedule full stop. Uh, this feedback is consistent with what we've seen with our shortage of bus operators, and I can, I can say for a fact that our HR folks are working actively uh, to hire more people, and we're really hoping to have these issues solved soon. If you know anybody, we're hiring, actransit.org. Um, but within this lens, uh, we want to dedicate resources, though, so that if traffic delays happen or a bus operator calls in sick or, or unforeseen conditions happen out on the field, We've got a bus with the driver still out there to make sure that service goes out as we say it will. 
And so what does this mean in practice? It means as we're developing service plans, we'll add in extra time to account for real world conditions. Uh, it means we'd spend more on existing service, which means there's less room uh, for us to add to add new or expanded services, so expanding operating hours or adding new routes into the system. It also means likely less service on paper, but more consistency in reality, a bus that shows up when we say it's going to show up more consistently. Next slide. So we see frequency as simply providing service to the most people, balancing against coverage and community needs. We've heard through our survey that from many that, that frequency is the number one improvement that could improve people's travel and that we should be focusing on high ridership routes in the densest areas. Uh, providing frequent service where most people ride could involve one frequent corridor at, in each part of our service area at a minimum. Uh, those, like I mentioned, West Contra Costa County, Northern, Central, and Southern Alameda County. Uh, we also know that a network can't just be main drags with a lot of people near them. Where ridership is lowest, we'll look at other alternatives like on-demand bus service. And so we're, we're nearing the close of our phase two engagement. And Diane, if you want to speak to this. Great, okay. So we're preparing for phase three where we're gonna be showing people lines on maps and we'll be introducing draft plan scenarios for community review and feedback as we work our way towards a final plan for implementation in August, 2024. So like I said, an aggressive timeline. Uh, we're, we continue to be out in the community, uh, providing information, seeking feedback on all the work we're doing. Uh, you can continue to follow us and, and see what's going on through this process by going to actransit.org forward slash realign. Uh, you can also find uh, out where exactly we're going to be in the community, uh, both in Alameda and beyond. Uh, or you can email us at realign at actransit.org, and then there's a whole host of uh, numbers we can share uh, that's not as small. Uh, but you'll be able to find us next at a community event uh, Saturday, August 26th at the Oakland Chinatown Street Fest. Uh, that's 10 a.m. to 5.30 p.m., so long day. But uh, come join us, uh, help engage, and happy to take any questions. Thank you. Thank you all for coming here tonight and giving us a presentation. Um, I'd like to ask my fellow commissioners if there's any questions or clarifications while we have AC Transit with us. Commissioner Whitesey? Is it okay to ask questions and clarifications? Or Yeah, go ahead and questions and clarifications. A little bit for public uh, comment. It's just a discussion item, so. Great. Um, I guess first question is how long, so you guys are doing this realign setup, how long is realign supposed to cover going forward? In other words, you're gonna make new plans, those plans are gonna be running for a while. What year does what year do you reevaluate? So so that's there's not a hard and fast uh, number there. Uh, we one of the one of the challenges here is that we're still in a transition phase. We're not at a we're not necessarily at a new normal uh, in in conversations with our general manager publicly and and otherwise uh, there's we have a sense that we're probably gonna have to do this again, and, and board members have mentioned this, we're probably gonna have to do this again in uh, five to seven years, because we just don't know where we're going to settle. We're seeing patterns evolving, uh, and we're seeing San Francisco still as like one of the, the least returned to in-person workplaces in the country, uh, but that's trending differently, and so, uh, we're, we're at a crossroads, but we know that, that what we've been doing isn't, isn't uh, conducive for the current moment. 
So you, so yeah, sort of. So, so you guys must have metrics for when the new normal is is the old normal and the new new normal is coming back. And so I'm just curious what those metrics are. Like when do you say, cool, now it's time to reevaluate like you just said? Yeah, so uh, we're, we watch all the same news sources that you do. We don't have a magic bullet. Uh, a lot of it, a lot of it is, is just trying to understand uh, with a crystal ball what exactly is going to happen. And so we don't have... I wouldn't say that we have hard and fast metrics. One thing we're, we're really actively trying to do is get back uh, to uh, pre-pandemic staffing levels so we can actually deliver on, our, on the promises that we, we put forth in our schedules. And that's, that's really been one of the, the biggest initiatives, aside from this one, that, that has been occupying our time. It's a national problem, uh, a regional problem, uh, and we're, we're grappling with, with making sure that we have enough staff to, to fill all of our service on a day-to-day -day basis. Let me, let me ask a different question, if I can. Thank you. Appreciate it, David. Mm -hmm. um, so it seems like you guys have something that's a little bit in opposition <laughs> internally. So you have this reliability principle, right? And so your reliability principle is notes, quote, more in existing services means less for new, new services, new things, new experiments. And yet that's sort of in contradiction to you guys want to expand things like late night service because that serves underserved populations. And also, I mean, according to your own stats, uh, there's not a lot of writers at those times. And so I'm curious how you square that circle given that those are opposites. Uh, I think the, the Easiest answer, the, I guess the hardest answer, is that we, we simply uh, are facing a, a fiscal cliff still. So we've had action from uh, Sacramento to get, get us part of the way on, on transit funding to get us back to pre-pandemic service levels uh, and beyond uh, in, in the next few years. But uh, the whole story hasn't been written yet because we haven't, we haven't gotten uh, a long-term funding solution that'll kind of allow us to tackle some of these issues that we've identified as part of our existing conditions analysis. So our board wants us to be visionary, uh, but we also are, are faced with, with pretty significant revenue crunches, uh, just like transit operators throughout most of the country, including BART, which uh, is facing a lot more dire uh, issues than we are. But um, we, we want to be honest about those, about those trade-offs and, and how we're trying to reckon with this this future. There's a lot swirling around. I have a couple others, but I'll yield for a little bit and then come back. Other questions? Commissioner Sutanthira? Thank you, David, for the presentation. And uh, this is uh, disheartening and uh, not surprising, right? Um, the, the trend uh, you're presenting, and, I, and I'm totally with you in terms of how um, you are, or the transit industry is trying to address this and then the, address the shortfall and all the other issues related with that. So I have a few clarifying questions. One is that in your data, one of the slides you show that uh, overall travel demand, um, and then you show that it's uh, slide number 10, if you can bring it up. Um, maybe I just want to know what you mean by overall travel demand. Is it like, is it the entire, on by all modes? Uh, because yes. Oh, so, so the data set gives us uh, basically anything that has a device. Uh, and so that, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at... Uh, Streetlight data? Yes. Okay. And so it, it, I would say that, and I think the industry, the transit industry would say that streetlight data doesn't have everything figured out, 
the, we're more confident about the, the overall data quality when it comes to overall travel patterns, less so when, when you focus specifically on what it's trying to uh, intuit about uh, bus and rail patterns, just because the, there are limits to the technology. But it's a great resource that, that 10, 15 years ago we would be just dying to have. So. Yeah, totally, because I have analyzed as part of my job, previous job, for 15 years, the travel data trend, especially you know, for all um, modes uh, in Alameda County. So I'm a little bit surprised about the pattern here because uh, over, in terms of overall travel demand, the auto is peaking more now. You know, the roads are clogged all the time. So I'm not sure whether this is correctly reflecting. But that's not the focus point. Anyway, I just wanted you to you know verify how it is. Um, and uh, in terms of looking at creatively um, developing some solution, addressing this issue, right? Uh, there is one about, uh, you said, the student transit uh, ridership. I know we don't have student transit pass here in Alameda, right? You don't issue student transit pass program that's uh, administered by ACTC. Yes. Uh, but uh, is there any thinking of expanding that? So that's one. Um, or is there any um, advocacy going on? And then the other one is um, express lanes. Um, express lanes, when you know, I've been in some way part of it in the planning stage and evaluation stage in terms of the performance. So one of the, the concepts is that uh, a complementing service of transit will be implemented later on from the revenues and in excess of operation and maintenance of the express lanes. That's how it was uh, formed, um, you know, when we started S680 and then the 580, now um, MTC has this full network coming up. But I'm um, just w wondering whether uh, AC Transit or other bus agencies are working with MTC in terms of seeing how the, um, you know, the transit service can be added on to express lane because I think uh, when you when you really look at the concept as such you know how we are um, um, charging fees for a single occupant vehicle to get on the express lane or um, we sh and basically uh, we are taking away a lane and then you know we are promoting um, carpool but then there is a, an excess I know um, um, our chair is an expert in that I'm not going for pricing, but I am, what I'm conceptually saying is that people should have, people who cannot afford to travel uh, for charge, but they are pressed for time, then there should be another option, um, which is transit. And then, um, I mean, although in concept we are talking, whenever the express lane was discussed, we are talking transit as a complementing service, it is a secondary step. But, so as an industry, we need to look at whatever part of the revenue we can use to implement the bus service. So I'm, I'm hoping, uh, you know, AC Transit is uh, looking into that option as well. Our other bus agencies are looking into that option, option as well. So um, I just want to mention that because uh, that Thank has you. not been the case. And I, I, I was on the other side as well and in the industry, how um, that aspect was um, considered because we are always looking at maintaining the express lane operation and all that. So it's very hard to carve out funding to um, invest in transit. So um, that's the last point. Uh, recently, uh, for, the for the summer, I had a guest who came from Sweden, my family member. 
um, with two kids. And the first thing, they were here for a month, and the first thing they asked was, okay, can we get a summer pass to go around everywhere for transit? Um, and um, that's not the case here, to go around the Bay Area. I mean, forget about Bay Area, but even within uh, the county, because we don't have the off-season pass kind of a thing. So there is a, we can be creative um, to, you know, think about, uh, look at, look at uh, European countries, or Asian countries, Singapore, Hong Kong, and all that, you know, in terms of, I know the situation is different, but still, um, you know, we can be creative in identifying um, options to boost the ridership. Yeah, that's good feedback, yeah. I, so we're, uh, on the student transit pass, I know that that's, like, like you said, out, administered by Alameda CTC. Uh, I know that program has seen some tremendous growth, um, schools getting added every school year, uh, and it's a great partnership. Uh, most of that money, I think, I'm, this isn't my my primary wheelhouse, but it, most of the money comes from Measure BB, and so yeah. And we've got thank you. So we've got seven schools. Uh, we've got Alameda High. Thank you, Diane. Uh, we've got Alameda uh, Science and Technology Institute. We've got Bay Farm Elementary. We've got Ensignal Junior and Senior High Schools, Island High, Lincoln Middle, and we'll see Wood Middle. So, and we're we're we've partnered with with uh, Alameda CTC to to get that into more hands. Okay. Um, and then on, on the express lanes thing, uh, I, I know we've, we've had discussions with, with MTC and uh, with other regional funding partners about like, getting, getting some of that revenue uh, and making sure that it, that it, it can be appropriated for, for transit, but I, I don't know exactly where those conversations are at this moment, but I'll take that back for sure. Uh, and I, same with the, the summer pass. I know I'm not aware of anything that we've done on that front, but good feedback. Thank you, good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Dara Abrams. Oh, thank you for this presentation and um, you know so many moving parts, but great to see it from a 30,000 foot view. Um, if I could just get down into the weeds, I was just curious to know how um, uh, today's revenue service hours compares to the budget that either a single budget you have to work with or if you're developing multiple scenarios, how those numbers compare approximately. Can you repeat the question? So you're, you're specifically, oh, just, you know, today in terms of the actual service offered, whether it's revenue service hours or what, however you measure it. Yeah, I can't Are recite the number off the top of my head, but oh, I can no, say no, that, that as part of the alternatives, we're, we're looking to, so we really don't want to overpromise with respect to the amount of service that we can deliver. So we're seeing our operator patterns trending upwards. Um, and so uh, the alternatives, at least the cost neutral alternatives, will focus around the level of service we're providing today, the number of revenue hours we're providing today. Does that help? Yes, thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I also wanted to ask, I know the frequency and productivity versus coverage is always the hard choice to make in a, a network redesign. And I'm just curious to know if um, you have any metrics from the board or any direction at a high level on where to um, make that call or if it's just going to be scenario by scenario. Yeah, um, and that's that's part of what we've been considering with this guiding principles process. Uh, with our our 
survey instrument asked a lot of questions about people's preferences. Um, but I think it's, I don't think we, at this point we have really hard and fast direction from our board as to which way we'll go. And I think that'll, that'll probably inform uh, the kinds of alternatives we'll put forward in the fall. Great. Well, th thank you for that. And I, I'll just say for as um, I always appreciate seeing frequency and productivity being guiding principles there because coverage is certainly important and you certainly have many local and federal requirements to meet, but frequency as an organizing principle can accomplish a lot. So appreciate that. Thank you again for the presentation. Thank you. Are there other clarifying questions or? Yeah, David, Diana, question for you. So um, I was in New York and I was riding the bus around on, on MTA. And what I've noticed because I ride the bus a lot is that we talk about frequency. And I'm wondering, does the data when you guys did the um, surveys about the idea of, of, of passengers who get on the buses with actual currency? coins, paper money, that takes time and that slows down the frequency of the buses. And I know we're dealing with equity, but it's interesting in, in New York and MTA, they don't take coins, they don't take, you know, but they have more access, like you can use your ATM card, your, your credit card, whatever. So I'm just trying to figure out, like, has the board, you know, have they talked about anyone at AC Transit, you know, the board, whomever, about, like, exploring like whether or not we should a the, you know the district should refrain from taking uh, you know money so that you know uh, operator safety the whole thing of you know operators having to decide okay this person doesn't have enough fare I have to make a decision to let them on because that does impact frequency and bus bunching and all the other things that go on so has there been sort of discussions of that at the micro level to sort of look at that to see if that's something that should be explored? I don't, I don't know if they. So there's been some ongoing conversations. We have a, an older boarding pilot going on uh, lines 51B and 6 in Oakland and Berkeley. Uh, and I think our board is very interested in speeding up the boarding process. Uh, but with equity in mind, uh, it's it's a challenge uh, for sure, and and with operator safety in mind, with with fare disputes, that those can be uh, some of the biggest points of conflict for for our workforce. Uh, our, I think one one thing is that we're we're really excited for Clipper Two to for that rollout. Uh, there will be a lot more ways for people to pay more actively. Uh, I think a criticism I've heard from from our board and members of the community is. Uh, the vendor network for Clipper One is really not that great, so that becomes an equity issue if you can't you can't reload your Clipper card in that many places if you're uh, someone who's unbanked. So there, there's there's a lot of issues swirling around that. I I will say that we're we're very poised to get people on and off the bus as quickly as we can and as safely as we can. Thanks, Commissioner Johnson. Any other questions, Commissioner Whitesey? Sorry, just a follow-up to uh, Commissioner Johnson's question. What, what percent of riders currently pay with cash? It is, that's a good question. I can't recite it. It's in the minority. I think it's 
I don't have a number off the top of my head. I want to say... Sub 5%? No, it's higher than that. It's higher than that. Yeah. Sub, sub 25%? 20, 25%. Really? But I would have to go back and do my homework on that. Interesting. For sure. Okay. Um, I had a, a question, I guess, so you're designing new systems, new routes, and it seems logical you guys would look at recent initiatives that failed and figure out why they fail, so you don't repeat the same mistakes. So I was curious, since we have three experts, four experts in the room, um, what is the internal postmortem on why the much loved in theory, but completely underutilized line 78 failed. What, what did you guys determine was the reason for that failure given the amount of buildup and work that was put into it initially? I definitely will say we did a lot of work, me included on, on that. I wanna call up Crystal Wang just to provide a little bit more context uh, for what's happening now. Uh, but yeah, it, we, we did a lot of work to, to market that together with our city partners. And so it's, uh, it's been a lot. For that question, I'm Crystal Wang, transportation planner. Um, we did a whole lessons learned memo on line 78, and the big thing was the challenge with um, actually making that ferry connection. Um, first of all, if the bus was running due to a delay, um, or there was de running delayed due to um, construction, like recently there was construction along Fruitvale Avenue, and that just caused the bus to run late, which meant it was late to the ferry terminal, and we don't have the ability to hold the ferry. And therefore, we missed the connection. Um, another big thing is um, we change our schedules four times a year, and the ferry just changes it whenever they want. And so it was difficult. They could just add trips and change times, and then we wouldn't be able to um, meet those. Um, another big challenge, I know you previously mentioned um, about the marketing for Line 78, you wanted to see free written everywhere. That's me. <laughs> yeah, and so that uh, is something um, we could have improved on is the marketing for that, but it is something we've heard a lot of comments on. People really wanna see um, more frequent and reliable service to all the ferry terminals, so that is something we are exploring. I, I, I like that third point a lot, and yeah. I, think that's, I think that's where you guys actually failed. I, I actually appreciated staff uh, here at Alameda actually reached out to you guys and put that forward. I, I found the excuses for why it wasn't done completely unconvincing, personally, nothing personal, but uh, I didn't understand it, and I actually, I feel like the marketing of that line was objectively terrible, and I think that if that kind of initiative, which was a good initiative, uh, was gonna come back, then you guys should probably fix that. I also, and I voiced this before, the timing sucked, because it was a new line that was connected to transit that was going to the city, at a time when no one was going to the city, no one liked transit, and I think we drew a bunch of broad conclusions about the failure of that line at exactly the wrong time because it it doesn't make any sense. It's the worst possible scenario to test that. So I'm, I'm kind of repeating what I've said before, but uh, I hope that one day that gets reconsidered because it should work, actually. Thanks, I appreciate it, Crystal. Well, Crystal, follow-up question on that. So when you guys were doing your, your uh, post-mortem, how many coaches did you guys have in following my colleague? So for the line seven eight, when you guys were doing, how many coaches did you guys have in circulation? Ooh, I'm forgetting. I was. I want to say it was either two or three. We had it interlined with a lot of different lines, so that also made the timing mm -hmm. difficult. Where like 
maybe the bus will run as a 51A and then it'll turn around and run as a 78, for example. So did lack of operators play into like, yeah. like operators mm -hmm. calling out, did that sort of yes. play into the role of, 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 of not having enough coaches in circulation? Yeah, and um, when we did have uh, to cancel trips for whatever reason due to operators being out sick or something, we always prioritize school trips. Mm -hmm. And so Line 78 would just not and, be prioritized. And real quick follow up my colleagues. So when, when coaches go out of circulation for like operators and dying, you can ask, it, how, how is the public informed in terms of like if you, 78, 51A, 72R, tempo, the major ones, like when there is an operator that's out and it causes delays in the system, is there a way that the public can do, do you guys distribute that information to the to the public? Yeah, that information is made available on our app and on our real time online. Okay. It'll just say the trip is canceled, and also usually announcements go out on Twitter okay. or X. Cool. Okay. Sorry, can I ask a follow up question because he he brought up a, a good point. I think so. You had mentioned that you, it, it was felt internally that misalignment between buses and ferries was maybe the the overarching issue. Uh, what percent of those trips were misaligned? In other words, did you find? Eight percent? Was it two percent? Was it fifty percent? Like, what's what's the stat that says that that was a a big deal and b was the reason this failed or, or it, one of the big ones? It really varied. Um, I know towards the end of the pilot program, for example, there was a ferry trip that was added. I want to say it was a nine twenty-five departure, and because of misalignment, that one's missed every time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, but another thing I forgot to mention is that there are we do have other lines that provide. Um, service either to a BART station or just trans-based service to get people to the city. And so there are plenty of other options that people could also take if they didn't want to take the ferry. Cool. Th thank, thank you. you. I appreciate it. All right. If there are any other, uh, Commissioner Noctegall, go ahead. Thank you. So looking at one of the slides, there was uh, several lines in Alameda that aren't exactly thriving right now. The ridership numbers are, are not great. And I'm wondering if down the road with this realign project, as you start to propose changes, if you plan to come to Alameda for outreach, how are you going to outreach to the community to get input and prior to making changes if you choose to? Sure, and I'll, I'll turn that over to Diane because that's her wheelhouse. a great question and I'm also just make sure you have Maria's card because she'll be your contact for Alameda um, we're gonna be doing um, lots of different things one of the things that we we've, we've been doing through each phase is we're doing like a online kind of virtual kind of meeting but we're also um, gonna be in this next phase because that's when we're gonna have like lines on maps and things like that we're gonna be doing some more kind of in-person activities as well as online so we, we haven't finalized the dates of where we're gonna be, but everything is gonna be on the actransit.org forward slash realign, R-E-A-L-I-G-N. Um, so we'll have like a list of dates where we'll be, um, where, how you can join us virtually, how you can, you know, where you can find us in the community. And then also, if you have any recommendations of where you want us to be or to give a presentation or to meet with folks, we're more than happy to do that. 
So, um, and then we are planning, um, we haven't talked to the city yet about this, but um, we are planning to, because we have about 13 cities and eight unincorporated communities within the AC Transit Service Area. So we're planning to please make a request that we come to give some kind of um, informational presentation like this, but specifically on the different um, scenarios that we're gonna be presenting for consideration to get some feedback on that, particularly for your city, you know, like, you know, does this work for you? Does it not work for you? Things that we need to know, that kind of feedback. So that's what we're hoping for. And that probably will be happening somewhere in the November timeframe, I believe. And so, um, but, but if you just kind of stay track with our um, project page, you'll be able to see updates. And then also you'll have um, Maria's card and you also know Crystal. Um, so we'll try to be, do a good job of making sure we stay in contact with city staff and let you know what's going on. Okay, so the plan is to have something in the city of Alameda for yes. the public to participate. Yes. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Um, do we have any public comments? Because I know we've been waiting for a little bit, and I don't want them to wait too long. There are no raised hands right now. If any of our participants on Zoom would, would like to speak, please raise your hands. Okay, while we give them a moment, I believe, Commissioner Dar Abrams, did you have another? Okay, you didn't have another question. Okay. Okay. Any? Uh, Let's just give it a second to see if there's any contributions. Still none. Okay. Um, well then we'll close public comment on this item. Thank you for the information. If there's any other comments that are not clarifying or discussion areas that haven't been covered, please let me know. Um, I have just have a few comments. Um, first of all, I know this stuff is really hard, and then the tension in transit right now between ridership and staffing and service and funding for something that we we never modeled <laughs> a pandemic and we don't know <laughs> what's going to happen uh, so i think modelers are doing their best uh, but i have to give props for when you are in a situation where you can't be proactive that being this reactive and really really aggressive to try something to get a change is going to be really important i think it speaks to um, you know the regions uh, you know, we, we need transit to thrive. We are seeing uh, very full lanes, express lanes. Um, it's very difficult to mode shift people. I'm just saying this for situational awareness in case you haven't seen a lot of the news about our fiscal cliff and just that it is it's a dire situation and no one has an answer and it's, uh, it's it impacts our economy and our quality of life and so it's a, it's a really, really difficult um, situation to solve regionally, statewide, and nationally. Um, so I liked the aggressive schedule of trying something is better than nothing. I had a, a the, the survey of 16,000 people, I thought that was pretty impressive as far as what I've seen in surveys recently, that it takes we a lot. So we yeah, it's very, congratulations, I'm jealous of that number. I'm curious if you know, just roughly, rough order of magnitude, statistically how many EPCs had participated in that survey from the equity lens? If there were, if there mm -hmm. was a, a fair share of communities or what we would typically, I'm not saying like specific numbers on statistical significance, yeah, but just generally were you able to get some feedback from the defined equity priority communities? So, so what we collected in our survey at least was at the zip code level, so that doesn't quite okay. get you yeah. tracked. Um, but and so what we found is that uh, 
we got a lot of interest from folks in Oakland, Berkeley, Alameda, very engaged citizenry, especially Alameda. Um, and what we found partway through the process is that we weren't hearing enough from, from the communities that really need this service. Uh, and so we've, we followed a sort of a more traditional approach and then also, if Diane, you wanna come up and, and talk about our, our CBO engagement strategy. Okay. Thanks, David. Um, it's a really good question. So what we did is, um, as David mentioned, we started to realize about halfway through the survey kind of promotion and outreach that we weren't hitting some of the populations like in like East Oakland, um, some of the unincorporated communities like those urban communities and, and like, you know, Richmond and, you know, kind of Southern Central Alameda County. And so what we did is we kind of um, shifted gear and put a lot more emphasis showing up at places like uh, family resource centers, um, food drive, you know, food distribution sites, those kind of things to reach people. And we did like paper surveys. Um, in those paper surveys, we reached like more than 1,100, I think, um, survey completes um, just by doing that and making sure that we had, you know, different languages. Um, additionally, what David was alluding to is that as part of this outreach effort, um, we've established kind of a partnership with um, 10 community-based organizations throughout the East Bay. And they're working with us as partners um, where they either, we had a, a group that started early on in the first phase. And so they helped us to get the surveys out and, and set up like events and opportunities for us to meet with people to take the survey. Um, we're gonna be working, continue to work with those partners as we move into this next phase and the fourth phase where we're gonna be um, asking them to host kind of these, um, you know, kind of uh, gatherings with different groups in their communities to help us reach some of those folks, particularly those equity priority communities. And so um, that's been actually working. And the other piece that we have, we're trying, it's a little bit different, is we've established what's called a lived experience advisory group. Um, it's about five members. I think if we had the budget for it, I would have gone for maybe 10 or 15 members because it's kind of a big weight for someone to take on to represent um, their different um, communities. So basically it's one representative with five wards in the AC Transit District. So we have one representative in each um, uh, ward. Um, so we're moving along that way, doing some traditional kind of outreach and engagement along with some, trying to do some unique, innovative type of ways to reach people. Um, and also, you know, combination of digital as well as in person. So I hope that answers your it question. It totally does. No, I think okay. it's just the effort that you you know that you have to put in the. It sounds like you <laughs> the extra effort when you start seeing all the responses that come back. And my last one, and just while I have you up here, um, was there? I know that fares, you know, cost of transit to the user is is a, is a touchy subject. But I'm just curious. In any of the survey work, was there any conversation about? you know, cost versus value or price tolerance related to tra transit fares? Fares have come up, but I'm gonna let David respond because there's it's a topic with our board as well, so. Okay, thank you. Thank you for yeah, your, I, your response. I don't think there was that robust of a discussion about fares. We heard a lot of feedback from folks throughout the service area about uh, the, the the fares being too damn high or, or, or <laughs> fare integration just generally. Um, but we didn't do any like targeted uh, research on that front, and, and this initiative focuses more on sort of where buses go and when. Mm -hmm. uh, our, fina our finance group typically handles more of the fair instrument type questions and uh, ways to pay. So that, but but we're also in all the feedback that we collected throughout this process, and we get a lot of feedback that's not specifically well the bus should go here. We get a lot of feedback about shelters. We get a lot of feedback about. 
um, cleanliness. We get a lot of feedback about safety. So th there's, there's all of these things that we're trying to make sure we route accordingly within the organization. We have a lot of other irons in the fire when it comes to, say, our, our, the quality of our bus stops, cleanliness, other kinds of things that have been identified through this effort. Uh, but we want to make sure we, we route those uh, concerns accordingly and, and get some movement on them. Great, thank you. Uh, that's all I had, and so I, um, if there's no other comments, we can wrap up this as a discussion. I'm, I really appreciate the presentation. I love the guiding principles. I think it's good. I think the only constant is going to be change for many years, so the more agile we can be and the more data that we can collect is, is really all we can do in this situation. So I appreciate your guys' work and uh, giving us uh, the information on that. So thank you. Thanks for your time. We're trying to be nimble. <laughs> All right, we're just going to close out agenda item 6B and go to agenda item 6C, which is a status report on transportation. So I believe Lisa's yes. going. I would like to excuse myself for two minutes. Oh, okay. We'll get set up. I left my phone in the car, so I don't want the car to be there. Sorry for the delay. Um, good evening again. Chair Souls and Transportation Commissioners, as you know, I'm Lisa Foster, Senior Transportation Coordinator. I am going to give you all the status report on transportation, but of course, this represents the work of a lot of people. And we have Rochelle Wheeler with us tonight, and we also have Robert Vance, a Deputy Director of Public Works, available uh, via Zoom for uh, the Q&A. And then, yes. So we, this is a, action item, we recommend you know, have a wide-ranging discussion and um, recommend accepting the status report on transportation. And of course, those TC, those Transportation Commission bylaws that we mentioned, they, per them, part of the role of the Transportation Commission is to monitor implementation of adopted plans and policies. Um, and so this status report is part of that. So you know, you're keeping in mind our mobility element of our general plan, our active transportation plan, vision zero action plan, climate action resiliency plan, and transportation choices plan. And you know, not coincidentally, you know, some of the goals and projects from those plans are also showing up in the strategic plan that the city council is working on. They're doing a three-year strategic plan for city council priorities. They have identified five goals. Um, unsurprisingly, most of the transportation related ones show up in the goal to invest in transportation and infrastructure. So in their, in their draft, they have things like paid parking at ferry terminals, the water shuttle pilot, uh, neighborhood greenways, low stress bicycle network, and projects like Central, Grand, Clement, and Clement Tilden. Um, but we do have some things that are transportation related in the enhanced community safety and service, such as Vision Zero and the Rapid Response Program and the Safe Routes to School infrastructure. So we'll start with updates on citywide planning and programs. You know, the last few years we were really busy with, with big plans like the Vision Zero Action Plan and Active Transportation Plan. This year less so, but we do have a few things. The ADA self-evaluation and transition plan is underway. They've developed a draft public facilities plan, but the public right-of-way plan, the, the part that relates to transportation, is still in progress. We haven't seen a draft. 
Um, you'll see a scoping document about citywide performance metrics for transportation at our next meeting. Um, and then I wanted to let you know that the tsunami response plan that we've mentioned a few times as potential agenda items for this group is now annexed to the fire department's emergency operations plan. And the reason for that is that the, the analysis found that a big part of that response will be having people, some people shelter in place and others relocate within Alameda. So it is more appropriate in the context of emergency response than transportation. And then we are ramping up to work on an update to our climate action and resiliency plan next year. We, for Vision Zero programs, we've been, we have launched our rapid response program, rapid response after fatal crashes program, or at least the first iteration of it. And so we have developed concepts for the locations of the two uh, tragic fatal crashes we have had to date this year. We'll expect striping and signage updates at Willow and San Antonio to be constructed by the end of the year. And then at McCartney, Marcuse, Baywalk, and a couple of similar intersections nearby. Um, are the updates that we've planned for that location are more intensive, a little out of our usual scope for the rapid response program, and we think we'll be able to get them constructed in early next year, uh, just because they require construction bidding and more design work. And then we did finalize a fatal crash communications protocol and we launched a new web page that has details about crashes, locations, and city response. We've also made progress creating engineering project checklists to use during design and implementation to make sure we consider safety, equity, active transportation plan, policy implementation, et cetera. We've done this both as a spreadsheet for our pavement resurfacing program and then we're working with IT's GIS lead so that we can get all this mapped. Um, in terms of school programs, our bike festival in April was a success. Uh, we continue to offer fifth grade bicycle education to all schools in Alameda and we've had a very low response this year. So we're rethinking that. Um, and then we did do some back to school traffic safety communications via social media and our newsletters, or mailing, uh, email newsletters. Trail maintenance is underway on Bay Farm Shoreline Park Trail. You heard some public comment about that. The timing uh, gave us, a, as a city, broader city, some lessons to learn. Um, but it is looking really great and it'll be much smoother and, and I think wider. And then we also were awarded a grant for trail maintenance near the Harbor Bay Ferry Terminal. In terms of parking management, um, we are planning new curb zones, new mostly short-term and some ADA parking zones in our business districts to install when we do the updated Park and Webster striping. And we, in June, got word that we were awarded an MTC Parking Management Capital Grant. Um, that's, that's the good news, um, that we have that financial support and honestly that accountability. Uh, so we are 
right now planning to take it to city council for a resolution of support and assuming that is goes smoothly then we will be able to release the money in early next year so the bad news is that it delays some of the stuff we wanted to get done this year we'll wait until we can spend against that grant and get it done next year and then we also in the city capital budget that was last adopted included a million dollars for uh, security updates in the Civic Center parking structure. And now for public transit, which is the topic of the evening. Uh, with our water shuttle, we were awarded a $1 million grant for that. I think last time we talked about it, we were waiting word on that. They, um, so the two-year pilot, it, we were, are ramping up to start in summer 2024. And um, a little bit surprisingly, it turns out it looks like we will need to purchase a boat tailored for the service, and that purchase will happen through the Alameda TMA, but with heavy support from the city researching that. And then paratransit is going really well, especially the AC Transit free bus pass. Uh, we have now over 650 people enrolled. Oh, sorry, that's a free bus pass for seniors and people with disabilities and they are taking 9,500 rides per month. Um, our Alameda Independent Mobility, which provides a paratransit-like serv service via Uber and Lyft, is also increased to 111 enrolled and averaging 80 rides per month. And relevant to making it possible for seniors and people with disabilities to take the bus, we are installing 20 new bus benches, bus stop benches. Uh, 11 are already installed. You might have seen a few around town on Park Street, Santa Clara, Buena Vista, West Tower, Marina Square, or pictured here is Ensenal and High. And AC Transit's not the only agency doing long-term planning right now. So I won't need to talk about Realign because you heard all about that. Um, Link 21, of course, you heard from them in May. And then they also went to city council in June to talk about rail, uh, regional rail future. And then uh, WIDA is also working on their Bay Ferry 2050. And then an update from them is that they are working on a refurbishment for the Main Street Ferry Terminal. And right now they're thinking that construction might start in October and require the closure of that ferry terminal and finish up in December. And the capital projects. I'm gonna start with a cluster of ones related to the Cross Alameda Trail. So Clement from Grand to Broadway, that project is out to bid now and we expect construction to start by the end of 2023. Um, and of course, as you know, the existing bikeway on Clement between Grand and Willow is already there. It was constructed as part of the development with the Alameda Marina project and was open for public use as an interim improvement. It's not the final thing for that section of street. You will see more with this project coming. On the Cross Alameda Trail along Ralph Apizado Memorial Parkway, uh, we have five intersections that will receive traffic signal improvements with again construction, construction starting toward the end of this year. Um, that will include new bicycle signal, signals with automatic detection and new turn arrows to reduce conflicts. 
And then, of course, the Clement Avenue extension and Tilden Way. This city council did endorse that design. Design is already in progress, and we're looking towards mid-2024 for that construction. And the in the um, Gene Sweeney Park for the Cross Alameda Trail access along there, we're planning on construction next year and four new connectors into that park. The status report that I that was on the agenda said 2025. It was it was a mistake. It's 2024. And so those southern entrances are at Wood and 8th, and the northern entrances are at Triumph, and also through the Marina Villa Village Business Park to Challenger Drive. So really opening up access pretty significantly. All right, out of Cross Alameda Trail. Um, Alameda Point Adaptive Reuse, I think most of you probably know that reconstructed sections of West Tower Ave and Saratoga Street are open. Um, we're still working on some final things. Uh, I understand that some of the landscaping was going in today, so I can't wait to see it the next time I go out there. And then construction on parts of Pan Am Way and West Midway are is already underway, and those are to slated to open next year, and there will be some kind of grand opening party for that when they open. Caltrans is almost done with their resurfacing, reconfiguring, and, um, uh, and most of the road striping is complete on Ensenal Avenue. So you guys are familiar with the Park and Webster striping update um, that brings parking back to the curb, creates a new bike lane. We are still looking toward the end of the year for construction to start on that. And then Grand Street, of course, City Council did approve that raised cycle track concept and, and additional funding so that we can start construction from Shoreline to Otis on Grand um, next year. And then Otis to Ensenal, the goal is to have the design done so that we can start construction the year after that. Central Avenue, the latest is that construction will start mid-2024, but it was a good year for uh, grants for this project. We have our third roundabout at Central 4th and Belena, funded and also bioretention areas for all three of those funded roundabouts uh, in a different grant. We've been working hard on the pavement management and safety improvements program. Um, so that we can not only resurface streets, but include striping signage, safety, visibility, and in flooding management improvements on these streets. Um, on this year, we're working on design for 19 corridors per our resurfacing schedule with construction for next year. And we made the decision to split. You'll see the northern part of Fernside is on that map. We made the decision to split that off of this project so that it's its own thing. We're planning to look for a, concepts for the whole corridor um, in the long term and, and near term um, concept to do on that section that is due for resurfacing. So hopefully being able to do that section with whatever concept we come up with for the near term um, in 2025 is the goal. But we will be starting public process with that in the coming months. Lincoln Marshall Pacific, 
um, designs in progress, improvements at Lincoln and Walnut are planned construction for end of this year. And then we also submitted a federal Safe Routes for All grant application for $20 million for this project. That's a relatively new funding program from the federal government, and um, our fingers are crossed. And then the Oakland Alameda Estuary Bridge regional team has developed and screened 12 alignment alternatives, and the three highest scoring ones will be studied for the project initiation document. Um, and we held stakeholder meetings this week. I think I might have heard one like two hours ago. Um, so that's happening. And then I just wanted to call out a couple of things that I didn't make specific slides for. But McCartney Island, we are slated to go to city council with that roundabout that you all looked at um, in the spring next year, requesting approval of that design concept and hopefully doing something like a roundabout rodeo in advance to educate community members about roundabouts. Neighborhood greenway planning is, is slated to begin this fall. And then, you know, Public Works lost a couple of key transportation engineer staff members this year. They're working to hire, but it did cause delays to some things, um, but that includes the Safe Routes to School infrastructure project and the high injury corridor daylighting project for our tier three high injury corridors. Both of those are delayed to next year. Um, and I will stop talking at you guys and uh, recommend again that you accept the status report on transportation and close out there. Thank you, Lisa. I love the pipeline of projects. Everything's just moving, moving, moving. Um, I'm gonna ask commissioners if they have any questions, if there is just discussion, we'll take public comment, but if you have any questions over what was in the uh, written report, uh, the written status report, please let me know. Okay. I, I had, oh. Go ahead, Commissioner Johnson. I, um, Lisa, when you were talking about the, uh, when they do the work on the ferry, on the, on the main ferry, so does that mean that the Seaplane Lagoon will become the primary ferry with weekend service? You know, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll ask Guida. I didn't ask that follow-up question. Mm -hmm. uh, have you heard anything? Yeah. So I'll, I'll look into that and follow up with you all at the next meeting. I can give you that update. Good question. I assumed, but we don't know. So <laughs> thank you for asking. Do we have any public comments? Uh, no one has their hand raised. All right. No public comments. I'll open it up to discussion or motion to accept. Commissioner Noctegall? I have some discussion. Go ahead. <laughs> so, as always, thank you. There's so many things that are in play, and it's awesome to hear the updates on them. One of the things you mentioned that got delayed, I'm hoping the, um, the daylighting of the intersections, the curbs on high injury corridors, if that can happen early in 2024, that would be great because that would provide so much safety benefit. So hopefully that doesn't get punted too late in the year. Um, with the Cross Alameda Trail, happy to hear that some of those signal improvements are coming. And I noticed that at the Pennzoil, it's still listing as TBD. Is there any timing update on closing that gap? 
Yes, the development for for that it has the, it has planning approval, and they are working on their site improvement approvals, um, and so I think they're in the middle of that. And then my understanding is that we'll be seeing big mounts of dirt for a couple of years, and that we'll look. It's still. There's no real timeline yet, but but the best guess of the staff member I checked in with was a couple years, okay. and then we'll see construction. We are, you know, working with the developer to try to prioritize at least the bike ped access through that section in their construction, but it'll all depend on logistics. Okay, thank you. And um, just one uh, request: when I was reviewing the report. There are references in the report still to Constitution Ave. Ah. If those could please be updated to Wilmichan Way. Absolutely. And maybe it wasn't Constitution Ave. I think it's Constitution Way, excuse me. But if those could be updated to Wilmichan, please. Thank you for catching that. Anything else? Okay, thank you, Commissioner. Other discussion items? Commissioner Whitesey? I guess maybe three questions. Uh, first one, so in this report, there are multiple comments about we needed to conserve staff resources because you guys are currently understaffed. I think it's actually good for the commission and the public at large to understand what that means in terms of how many people you're down versus how many people theoretically would be the right fit for the amount of work. Do we, can you give us an estimate of what that means? Um, public works. Uh, <laughs> Have Robert answer that has, um, Robert just turned What's his that? camera. Is Robert just turned his camera on. If you'd like to <laughs> answer, Robert could answer yeah, that. That's a good idea. Okay. Hi, hi. This is Robert Vance from um, Public Works Deputy Director, and we so we are down for engineers right now. Um, so we had a supervising civil engineer leave, and an uh, associate transportation engineer leave. So. Um, we are actively recruiting uh, for those positions, and so Robert, yeah, Robert, if you fill them, Robert, yeah. if you're if you're down four, what's the what's the denominator there? So what's an, what's full staffing? Twenty people, fifty people? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly. I think it's like um, I think it's like fourteen in our engineering group. I'm right. gonna say. Cool. Yeah. yeah just sorry. Just because I think that's good information for people to understand. The city and the various departments are always understaffed and they we should support that and we should fill them up as possible um, I have two other questions so one of the comments on here is about the cross Alameda trail and signaling changes and adding in better bicycle infrastructure and I just wanted to understand does that also involve any restriping and, specific, Robert, you and specific, I guess specifically my concern is the uh, strain striping at the intersection between Fifth and Apizado with a lane merge, and I realize this is extremely granular for me to ask this, but I'm just curious, basically, if, if a reevaluation of current striping is part of that project. Um, the, the only striping in that project is adding a, a crosswalk that's um, currently missing. I think it's at Pogie. Um, there's only one crosswalk um, on, uh, I think, on the. Um, east or west side of the street, uh, crossing Ralph Apizado. So that'll, that'll be added in. But there's no other real striping revisions. It's mostly traffic signal work. Okay. 
Uh, and sorry, last question, I, I guess more comment than anything. Um, I am super excited about the West End shuttle pilot. I think it's a great project. I think it's gonna take care of a lot of traffic issues. I think it also takes care of a lot of the pushback against housing issues on the West End because it gives people options to not drive. <laughs> I've yet to really see the city or staff or departments or us, quite frankly, come up with a plan to get all those people to the shuttle because that shuttle is in danger of being essentially a somewhat privatized boat for all the people that live behind Alameda Landing, given that there's no parking there, given that the biking infrastructure over there is terrible if you've tried to get between, say, Apazado and especially past Target. So I, I have some concerns that we're spending a lot of money and time on what is fundamentally one of the better, more exciting projects in Alameda, and we have absolutely no plan that I'm aware of to get people, especially people not in their cars, to the shuttle to get them off the island, which is the goal of the project. And so I don't know if that's on us, I don't know if that's on staff, but we should work on that because we're building a great boat and we have no current way to really safely, cleanly, and uh, effectively get people over there without dropping off from their cars. So I hope to see something soon. Any other comments, Commissioner Whitesey? That's it. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Commissioner Dara Abrams. I have a number, but please, but I will go by grouping, and I would be glad to switch off if others have <laughs> questions on the same group. Do not want to dominate. But thank you, Lisa, for such a comprehensive tour. Um, I, I first wanted to ask about, so the, the city hits way above its weight in many capabilities. Um, quick build does not seem at present to be one of the capabilities that the city is realizing it to its full advantage. I wanted to specifically ask if you or Robert might be able to give just a capsule summary of what this quick build toolkit is intended to be and or like who the audience is. Like is this for those city engineers or for a different audience just in terms of how far it may take that capability within the city. All right, so you're asking about the, the rapid response quick build toolkit that we're planning to get some consultant help creating um, you know, in the latter half of the year. And um, this will be a toolkit for use by our city team, by traffic engineers and, and consultants that we work with so that we are able to kind of pull from from uh, plans that we've already, or designs that we've already developed when we encounter an intersection that we want to do improvements to. Robert, did you want to add anything? Uh, thanks, Lisa. In, in terms of capabilities, um, we have an on-call contract with um, a, a striping um, uh, contractor so, I mean, one of the things we can implement quickly is any striping changes and, uh, you know, adding um, bollards, delineators, those, those types of things. Um, that's kind of at least what our current scope is uh, for what we can deliver quickly. But in terms of like, you know, if it's something that requires, um, you know, concrete curb changes or things like that, those we don't have an on-call um, contractor for and those take longer currently. 
Great, thank you both. And I, I know it's out of scope for the moment, but I do want to at least mention, if possible for the future, that some other cities do um, work with outside firms in a more for full service capability where my understanding is they, they do um, give those outside firms the, um, uh, just the task of full delivery on a quick build project. You know, again, not concrete, but, um, and I've, I'm certainly not gonna touch on procurement, but I've seen one of those firms um, apply for Alameda contracts in the past, and I would just encourage the city for, to consider that as a way to supplement in-house capabilities of scope out what, what they deliver and task them not just with engineering aspects, but full management and delivery. So that, thank you for, for taking um, my questions and, uh, and providing info on uh, quick build. Um, I wanted to move on to parking. Um, congratulations on that grant, that, that's great. Um, I wanted to ask on, there's a mention of wayfinding signage. Mm -hmm. And I was curious to know the extent of that because in the ideal world, anywhere there's a time limit or a, um, a cost on street, there's information about how to get to an alternative, right? Like to the garage or uh, a lower cost. And I'm just curious to know if this current plan like is gonna give the city enough to do that full scale set of wayfinding or if, you're, if there are multiple phases here towards getting towards that whole downtown business district, having that level of um, information for travelers. There'll be multiple phases. The grant proposal uh, covers wayfinding signage to the Civic Center parking structure and also to the West End lot. So pretty specific, a couple ones that we want people to know about. Um, get some, you know, get our pretty new logo up there and help people find those off-street parking uh, opportunities more quickly. Great, great. And, um, on parking, I did also want to ask if I'd, the status report mentioned engaging with the local business community. Um, I was curious to know if any discussion came up about businesses that own private off-street parking lots and if there's any openness to having those lots managed and branded by the city. Um, we have had some discussions that are just kind of touching around that topic, but not really diving in. It uh, honestly overwhelms me a little bit to think about making that happen because of the aforementioned staffing issue. Uh, um, there's one lot in along Webster that I would that I think would be great, but apparently that business owner is really not open to that. I was talking to the Waba executive director about it last time I did a walkthrough with her. Um, it is definitely something that it would be great to do. I think there is some some spaces that could be utilized more, you know, more thoroughly, a little wasted space out there. Um, but no plans to to take advantage of that anytime soon. Oh, of course I definitely appreciate the mention of um, well, using prioritizing resources. And so anyway, thank, thank you on um, 
for answering my parking questions because it's really great to see this progression in mind over the next few years and that the downtown business district could really end up in a great place. Um, as I'm flipping past, I just want to say a thank you to everyone involved in those um, benches at bus stops. So um, I work at uh, Park and Blanding and I walk past some of those new um, benches and I can say they are in use. Hmm. There are folks there. Um, some people today were sitting, sitting on buildings instead to get in the shade, but well, <laughs> the bench is good. The bench is a great start and they're in use. Um, so I know I've been going on for a while, so I, let me check in with the chair in case it was. No, that's okay. Something. Finish your comment. Okay. Thank you. Um, okay. Pavement management and safety improvements. Um, I wanted to ask on um, Ensenal Ave is east of um, Broadway. So I, so currently, well, I'll just ask, is there a current plan for the block immediately east of Broadway, given that Caltrans finished their road diet, um, but east of Broadway, it's still at two receiving lanes? Um, Robert, do you want to take that? Give him the good news. <laughs> I, I, I believe what you're referring to is we're going to restripe that as part of the next resurfacing project. Um, I don't have those details in front of me, but Michelle, maybe you maybe you know them. Oh, um, I do know that we're going to be yeah adding bike lanes to that section in that um, in 2024 when we do our resurfacing program um, that we're planning for right now. So it will be constructed next year. That block will have bike lanes added. That, that's great. And can I ask if, is the, the block immediately east of, of Broadway, is that gonna remain as is until the, um, the resurfacing happens next year? Right now, I'm not aware of any plans to change that um, until we do that resurfacing project. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, well, thank you. And finally, I wanted to say I'm really glad to see Otis and Doolittle resurfacing um, mentioned in the status update. And I know that's not a city project, it's a Caltrans project. Um, but it is a four-lane arterial going right through um, uh, a school, a park, um, and a residential neighborhood. Um, it's, I, I read in the Alameda Sun at the start of the year, a, a one-year-old was in a, um, a stroller hit by a motorist. The stroller was flipped in the air at a uh, flashing crosswalk right at that segment, and I'm, I'm I'm speaking out towards the Caltrans B4 building right now, hoping that um, they will um, take this uh, feedback from the city and um, uh, consider a road diet and a complete street for that segment there. Um, so thanks very much. Your you, comment reminds me that I did invite Caltrans to come speak to this body about that project and that I haven't heard back, so I need to follow up. Uh, that'd be great. 
What's that? So that would be great. Yeah, yeah, it would be. <laughs> uh, any other comments, Vice Chair? Yeah, I just wanted to thank um, city staff for this really great presentation. I'm always uh, um, so amazed at the amount of work our fair city, our small fair city <laughs> undertakes, um, especially knowing the uh, number of staff we are down. And so this is just incredible and kudos to city staff for keeping all of these balls moving, um, various activities, projects, initiatives going. This is incredible work. And I just wanted to mention, um, I was really happy to see, um, I was taking my kids to school this morning um, and driving. Um, I was, I was driving around because I have to have a drop off on the west end of the city and the drop in on the west end, on the east end. And um, just driving through the city, the, the number of uh, folks who are uh, act, you know, engaging in active transportation, walking and biking to school, dropping their kids off, I think it's just really uh, amazing to see. And I think that um, that really speaks a lot to the work of, of city staff and the leadership here in the city for making that vision happen and come to, to reality. So again, I just wanted to um, share some, some high praise um, for the work that you all are doing. I did have a couple of questions as follow-up. Uh, one specifically regarding the Oakland Alameda Estuary Bridge um, project. I don't think it was in this report, but I remember reading elsewhere um, in order to move that project forward, um, the need to identify a lead agency is sort of like the next big kind of hurdle. And I'm just wondering where we are with that, what the status of that is, and sort of um, the next big steps. I know that we received funding for some additional um, analysis, but just wanting to see where that, um, where that was. Um, yeah, thank you for that, that question. Um, uh, we are, um, have been really focused on, on getting these kind of alternatives narrowed down for the um, project initiation document, which is the phase we're in now and we've been funded to, to work on. And um, we've done some preliminary um, kind of um, evaluation of who those lead agencies could be. Um, and had a lot of discussions, and those are happening at different levels, including at the elected official level and also at the staff level. Um, don't have anything to report, um, but it's, I feel like it's something we're really trying to um, uh, give some air and light to that, um, that question and the, the, that need. and. Um, not shy away from it and just, you know, kind of address it head on and also to just lay the groundwork and keep the different agencies that uh, we think could be a lead agency, keep them informed about the project, let them know how it's going um, and, um, you know, kind of laying the groundwork for those future discussions, um, particularly uh, we're thinking once the project initiation document is completed, and it really kind of calls into question that need. Um, so, so we're we're working on it, and I'd say it in mul multiple ways. Great, thanks for the updates. Um, my second, I guess, is 
maybe more of a comment than a question. Um, I'm curious about the estuary water shuttle pilot. I know the pilot of a pilot uh, didn't happen this summer um, for reasons that didn't seem within our control, and I understand that. Um, and looking forward, I think like um, Commissioner Whitesey mentioned, the pilot that, that is starting next year, I do live close to that area and am looking forward uh, to being able to access Jack London and the rest of Oakland and, the, and East Bay um, readily. I do have questions about the frequency of service. I remember in the POP, when the POP, the pop um, when it was brought to this commission and sort of describing the frequency and the level of service, it, it felt limited. Um, I think it was only two days a week and maybe like a few hours each of those days. I am hoping that the service will be a bit more robust. I think hearing about the frequency and re reliability from AC Transit really signals to me that um, folks really need to be able to, to rely on um, the frequency uh, and the reliability of that in order to make it really work. And if it is a pilot, um, I really do want it to work. And so I hope the city staff, as you're thinking about um, level of service, um, trying to think about how to make it robust so it does meet the needs of commuters and other folks who need to access. Um, getting across that estuary. And so I'm, with that, will, will that level of information be brought here before um, service starts for discussion or can it be brought here for further discussion? It's, it looks like it's going to be starting early 2024. Is that the uh, goal? Uh, mid, mid 2024. Mid 2024, Probably okay. more like, yeah. Like um, summer of 2024. May, June, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, we can certainly bring that um, to the group as an information item. I would say that, um, well, first of all, certainly the service is going to be more robust than that summer pilot. Um, we scoped out when we did our grant application a project budget of $2 million per year, and that included four to five days of service at about eight to 10 hours per day, and that fluctuated depending on the season, so we would have less service when it's the days are shorter and it's wetter out, and then more service, um, you know, at the, the remaining um, eight months of the year. So um, that's the general intention. Um, and I think what we're, and my goal and our, our partnership that's working on this is to maximize the amount of service that we can provide given um, the budget that we have, and um, we are still, there's a lot of variables in play, so it's it's hard to say exactly what that service level is gonna be beyond what we committed to in the grant and what I just stated, um, because we need to know how much it's gonna cost to fuel the boat, and that depends on what kind of boat we have, and um, we need to know the exact stops, and we're still looking at whether or not actually the vessel can whether or not there's even a dock that can be used in Marina Village. That's not clear, we had hoped there was, but it's not clear that there's one that's both publicly accessible and ADA accessible. Mm -hmm. We're um, looking into that. So there's a lot of variables in play, but I will say that I think all of us working on this um, are really um, 
motivated to have as frequent service as possible within the limits of the funding that we have. Great, thank you. Those are all my questions. All right, thanks, Vice Chair. Commissioner Sukhadir. Thank you. Um, really appreciate the staff uh, presentation and uh, the the variety and the amount and the depth of and the quality of work um, that you are all doing. And, you know, like uh, Vice Chair mentioned, despite the staff, um, shortage of staff or, you know, it's, it's uh, really getting lean and mean, but still producing high quality work. So thank you for that. Um, and congratulations again on the MTC grant. Um, so yeah, parking capital funding is, is, is great. Uh, I, I have a few um, questions, um, and I'll just go one by one. Uh, there's a paratransit rights, you said, uh, that's good to know, it's increasing. Uh, but I want to hear how much, are, compared to before, what is the increase you're seeing? Um, you know, we had the numbers in the annual report, and now we have the numbers in the status report. I didn't take the time to compare them, but that could be done. I could um, I could ask for that after the. It's like um, double. I know the numbers are higher, but I, I don't have yeah. a sense of scale. Okay, um, that'll be it'll be helpful. Yeah. Uh, and um, I see that's a city subsidy. One of the items um, is city subsidy for Harbor Bay ferry operation. Uh, what is that? Which. Sorry, say that again? City subsidy, subsidy for Harbor Bay Ferry operations that ah. you are going to hold discussion <laughs> with WEDA. Are you able and to speak to that? Um, I can try to speak to that. Um, so my understanding is that while um, RM2, or was it two or three now? <laughs> I just was in litigation. Three was in litigation. The city was helping to support funding for the Harbor Bay Ferry Terminal. And now that that funding is released because the litigation has been, you know, resolved, there is the discussions around that funding, kind of the city pulling that back, and then where does that go? And that's about the limit of my understanding of that, that, that issue, but that's the kind of discussions that's happening. Okay, just wanted to understand what it is. Um, and uh, the other one is, so on the roundabouts, you know, the McCartney roundabout uh, proposal, I heard about it a while ago, probably that was the first one the city discussed, and because I attended the public meeting that was held in uh, Bay Farm School and all that, but then that seems to be in the back burner. Um, is there any reason for that? And uh, what is the status? I think you have mentioned um, some status update here, but I'm just curious as to why it uh, got delayed. Yeah, you know, um, that is an intersection that doesn't show up on our high injury corridor map, so it didn't get prioritization that way. We had already been working on it. Um, but then the community, you know, really kind of wasn't enthusiastic about it, the concept of a roundabout. Hmm. But, you know, th the analysis found that a traffic signal was not going to significantly increase safety. So we were sort of, we just kind of let it take a pause for a while because the community didn't seem to be wanting what we were recommending and there weren't, you know, there were plenty of other 
places to work on, corridors to work on that are on our high injury corridor map. So, but now, you know, we're hearing more, actually we do want something here, um, so we're bringing it back. And uh, luckily we've already done a lot of work and analysis and we can, you know, bring it to the, to the city council. Okay, thank you, good to hear. Um, especially with the Starbucks being there, there's a lot of foot traffic happening as mm -hmm. well, so I think there is a, you know, safety improvement uh, need. So, and I think roundabout will be a good one to go. Um, there is a, you know, the safety study on McCartney in response to the two traffic fatalities. Um, but I'm not clear on the update you provided. That so, what is the status on that um, in terms of addressing the issue? You were studying um, the location and uh, in in, term, in your Vision Zero update, mm -hmm. say that uh, those McCartney require additional detailed design and construction bidding. Can you give some more information on that? Sure, sure. So we looked at you know. We did our post-collision site visit, and we've had a, a consultant been looking at that location, and um, and the and we've developed plans to and and looked at um, two two intersections nearby that are have similar conditions, and so we've developed plans to put um, rapid flashing beacons at all three, and to put mark a new crosswalk at Lincoln. Marcuse and Baywalk, not Lincoln, excuse me, McCartney, Marcuse and Baywalk. And we tried and tried to come up with a way to mark a crosswalk in that location without doing any concrete work. But because of the curvature of the road, it just had to happen on the eastern crossing instead of the western crossing. And that requires concrete work in the median there. So um, we're working on design drawings for that. We have reached out to the HOAs to let them know they, they seem supportive of the concepts. Um, Robert, did you want to add anything? Before Robert says anything, um, uh, is, will there be a community outreach? Because it is the horizontal curve is, uh, adds to the um, line of sight. And so just want to know whether there will be any community outreach for that. We aren't planning community oh. outreach beyond the work that we've done with the HOAs. We really, you know, we have so many projects happening. The, the goal of, I understand. of the just rapid so response is to be able to just get some stuff done. Um, but this one, it's, it's an interesting learning curve. Like this one has turned into a bigger project than we had, you know, than we were building this, this, project, this, this program to be. Uh, but but no, we're not planning to do beyond. You know, we're in a public forum. We've we've put it. It's available on the website, and we did write to the HOAs. Um, sorry, Robert, were you going to say something? No, I I think you covered it perfectly. Thanks. Okay. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I I do understand that the need to you, the balance for need to more quickly address the issue, but at the same time, you know. Um, in terms of whether there is a community outreach needed and, um, and how effectively you can communicate, so. We have um, sent, well, I, I did send one mailing that, that went to a couple thousand people 
um, that included, you know, this information about what we are planning there. So, okay. and I did include the people we have on our list from from the McCartney Island project. Okay. So, yeah, I appreciate um, receiving that email because I didn't receive it, and I'm, you know, <laughs> I go through that every day. So the, that location, it is a challenging <laughs> one. I'm not surprised that it turned into a bigger project. Uh, because of the physical, the configuration, so. And the, the last uh, question is not quite a um, question. Um, it's on the, in the trail maintenance. So again, I'm coming back to uh, the section connecting to the, the bridge, and I have seen um, some language about that. So now you are working on it, and you are waiting to get an inventory from the, um, Bay Trail section. So can you say, I mean, clarify that? But I'm not clear when that will happen. Or is there any schedule? Uh, connecting uh, the, the wooden bridge, improvement of the wooden bridge is a whole different thing, but you know, connect, the connection being um, rideable or comfortable to ride. Mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, so you're talking about, are you talking about the section on Veterans Court then, or on Shoreline? Oh, I'm talking about actually the bay farm uh, on the shoreline. The shoreline. Oh, okay. Well, right now, um, the uh, Parks District has just finished uh, paving a section of that. That's the section that was unfortunately closed right when school started. Um, and that uh, the first phase is complete. Um, there was the photo and the slideshow, and it was, I confirmed, it was uh, with the ARPD staff. In some sections, that section had been as narrow as six feet, and um, it is now 10 feet wide throughout. And it will also have, it's not done yet, but it will also have compacted kind of, um, I can't remember, kind of rock, dirt that you can walk on, on two feet on both sides. So that path is gonna be much wider, smoother, um, very much so and less dangerous than it was. So that for that phase one, that phase is done. Uh, right now they're doing the next section, which is a section that kind of comes right to Veterans Court, um, close to the bridge. So that, that one will be done by, um, they're saying by next Friday, that phase. Wonderful, Wonderful to hear, thank mm -hmm. you. Um, and uh, do you know whether um, improve the bridge itself, uh, it's on? The East wooden bridge? Or yeah, the wooden bridge, wooden bridge. That is also on our list to, to work on. I don't have a schedule for that, though. Oh. Yeah. OK. Um, I do have one more final comment, actually. Uh, thank you for the bus stops, I mean, bus stop benches. Um, they're wonderful, um, looks great. Um, the, my one comment, uh, particularly on the uh, one located at McCartney and Aginba, uh, it's it's kind of the positioned in a direction that I wouldn't uh, I, I wouldn't want to sit. Yes, it's an intersection, and uh, it's facing east. It's not uh, you know the back is not towards the the fence. You know it's not facing the road. I mean in a logical sense. So it's the back of the bench is facing the you know back of the bench is towards the intersection. So it's in an odd, yeah. I haven't, I haven't noticed it. I'll have to look. Yeah, it's kind of an odd look, odd way to arrange it. But it, and definitely a bench is needed there. 
but the way it is located is a little odd. So that's, that's all. But having a lunch bench is great. I would recommend one at Matthews too, because there are kids standing like bunches over there in the morning. So thank you. Thank you for all the work. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Other comments? Um, I only had one that wasn't touched on. It was the bike safety for fifth grade that I'm sad there wasn't more participation because I keep on seeing new new parents on parent pages and Facebook asking about what's offered. And there's thankfully a lot of positive responses of Bike Walk Alameda and other things that are available. So it's just unfortunate that for that <laughs> group, that's the age where you get to stop doing drop-off. And so you would think that there would be a lot of participation <laughs> of trying to get that. So um, I know that that may, uh, you said that may change as far as whether or not that's offered, but I hope that we exhaust all the outreach and knowledge about that being a program before we, before we ditch it. That's all I had. So if there are no other comments, I will make a motion to accept the status report to move us along. Thank you, Commissioner Whitesey. Let's do a voice vote. All in favor say aye. 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 All opposed say no. All right, mm. motion passes unanimously accepted. Lisa, thank you so much for the presentation and your help and all of the staff's hard work on these projects and getting to see progress is really exciting, so thank you. We're at agenda item 6D. It feels like just yesterday, but here we are again, electing our chair and vice chair as an action item this evening. Uh, I will open the floor to any discussion or to uh, any motions. I was just curious if the two incumbents are still interested in serving again. I have one year left, so I'm fine with continuing on, and I think that my term finishes next June, and so uh, we discussed it, and I don't want to speak for vice chair, but we would be agreeable. Yes, I would I would uh, be honored to serve again if I was so, um, I guess, nominated and voted on. I'll make a motion to nominate you as vice chair. I will second. <laughs> Uh, let's take the votes separately then, since we have a motion on the table. Quick voice vote for nominating uh, Vice Chair Ewan to continue on as Vice Chair. All in favor, say aye. 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 All opposed, say no. Any abstentions? We have one abstention. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with that, I'll make a motion to nominate Chair Souls. Happily seconded. Seconded. Thank you, and all in favor, say aye. 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 All opposed, say no. Both motions pass unanimously, and I want to thank Vice Chair Ewan for your service and being willing to continue on. Uh, like I say, that there, I'm not, I still learn, I'm trying to be more graceful as I go, but you've been really helpful, and um, staff for making it really a lot easier to be able to serve as chair and vice chair, I think is really appreciated by both of us. So thank you and thank you guys for your confidence in letting us continue on. Um, so I will close out uh, agenda item six and move on to commission communications. This is for commissioners. If you have any additional comments um, or anything else that was not on the agenda this evening, um, please feel free to speak up. Commissioner Sutanthira. Uh, just one comment is, um, 
keeping the commissioners aware of the happenings in the city. Um, uh, like the line 78 suspended um, suspension, I wasn't aware and uh, probably I'm not paying close attention to what's happening at the Seaplane Lagoon, it, but that is really an important one. So it's um, maybe in your update, status update you can mention. I'm, I'm just trying to think how we can get um, up to date on the significant happenings in terms of transportation in the city. So. Can I speak? So, so I actually follow the city's, I think it's the transportation email, transportation department email, that it's sort of the public outgoing email, and I think it has that kind of information in it. That's often where I find out first. Um, so Was would, it in that? Yeah, so oh. I, would, I would definitely subscribe to that, because I think it's actually very useful. Uh, I, I do, I do receive that probably overlooked. Any other? Commissioner Dara Abrams? So uh, an acquaintance of mine is on the faculty at UC Davis. She's a transportation professor, and I recently read a uh, paper by her and her team that, um, again, I have to forgive me as a recovering academic. I'm just going to, the only reason I'm mentioning this is because it's such a nice, concise overview of the safe systems approach to traffic engineering and to taking a public health approach to traffic safety. And it's got a little, I'm gonna visualize a little pyramid. And um, this paper got a really nice write-up in Governing Magazine recently. So you don't even have to read the, for anyone who's interested, you don't even have to read the journal article. There's an article in Governing Magazine online called How a Public Health Approach to Road Safety Could Save Lives. And all concepts, the reason I'm thinking of this is it's all concepts that um, the folks in the field already know, but the visual presentation is really nice and concise. And um, I just find it useful myself to get these reminders of ways to both share with the general public and lay people, but also like folks in the profession and engineers and planners. Um, in any case, I, I thought this was a great read. Um, it's um, uh, worth looking up, and uh, Carrie Watkins is the faculty member um, who is on this, and her PhD student is hopefully on to bigger and better things with this work. So, thank you, thank you. thank you. Any others? I just have one. September's Transit Month in the Bay Area, and so get on transit. Huh? Go take transit. Yeah. So. This is a good time to thank your bus drivers, your train operators, any friends that you have that work in the transit industry, or to take a friend for their first bus ride. So um, I'm looking forward to celebrating that. So that was my only one. So I appreciate the, uh, the time and the floor for that. Uh, if there are no others, I will move to adjourn under agenda item eight. Do you second, Vice Chair? <laughs> I second. <laughs> All in favor, quick vo voice vote. Aye. 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 Thank you again, Lisa, for the presentations. Thank you guys for joining us tonight. We'll see you in September for our next meeting. Thank Thanks you. Thanks, everyone.